The teaching text for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, friends. Um, I thought I'd start with just a little story, uh, an experience that I had recently. Um, January 6th was a really strange day for me. I was home working and a friend texted me and she said that I needed to turn on the news. And I turned on the news to see um, hundreds of our fellow Americans and, and friends and neighbors uh, forcibly trying to enter the nation's capital. Um, and my first feeling was just this sense of dread. Um, there were people who had guns and there were reports of uh, security officers within the Capitol who had already discharged their weapons. And it seemed very possible in that moment that it would become um, just kind of a bloody gunfight. And I texted my friend back and I said, can we just pray? And so we hopped on a FaceTime and we started to lift up uh, the people in the building, um, whether they came there for work that day or whether they were one of the people who was forcibly trying to enter. And we prayed just for a safe and a swift end to, uh, to the hostilities. Um, and one of the other things that struck me that day when I was in prayer with my friend um, and as I would sort of process with other friends later in the day and praying with them was a really deep call to repentance. Um, it was clear to me that within the group of people that went into the Capitol that day that there was a lot of anger, that there was a lot of fear, that there was a lot of hatred that had been, that was the result of, of anger and fear, and that, that, that those emotions had been stoked by people who had platform and power um, and it was also clear to me that day that, to, that I wasn't immune to it. 
Um, we live in a society that is immersed in rhetoric and media, whether it is news media or social media that is polarized and polarizing in an intentional way. And there seems to be a, a deliberate campaign on all sides to shut down contrary arguments, to silence opponents, and sometimes not just to silence them, but also to shame them, and sometimes even to harm them. And we live in it. We are swimming in it all day to the point where it becomes really easy to think that our side knows better or knows best and to live in this space of pride and arrogance where it becomes very easy to dismiss the fears or concerns of our neighbors. And so on January 6th, I had this, this moment of clarity and this, the scene from Luke chapter 13 came rushing to my mind. Um, Jesus is teaching a crowd and some of the people in the crowd start telling him about how Pilate had killed some Galileans and, and mixed their blood with his sacrifices. And Jesus said in response, he said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than others? No, he said, and unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And in that same conversation, he told another story about 18 people who were killed uh, when a tower fell in Siloam. And he said again, do you think that these were more guilty than others in Jerusalem? No. And unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It would have been so easy to look at the people who were storming the Capitol that day and to think that I was better or smarter or more holy or more Christian. But I heard the words of Jesus so clearly that day, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is expounding on the true meaning of the law. And he says in Matthew, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I am certainly guilty of believing in my own moral superiority and the moral inferiority of those who disagree with me. I have dismissed others as being foolish, ignorant, poorly educated. And that day was a clear picture of what happens when something that starts as angry words becomes violent and then potentially murderous. And so even with just that little bit of unkindness on my tongue toward a brother or sister, I am already guilty of murder. And I was witnessing this in front of me and within me, the reality of a love that can grow cold. And by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit convicted me and I repented. So I thought we could talk a little bit today about what Jesus is saying here about the causes of love growing cold and, and how to push back against it. 
So we're seeing this conversation take place between Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has just walked out of the temple and his disciples are uh, speaking to him probably admiringly about some of the different uh, buildings of the temple. And he very casually tells them that it's going to be completely destroyed again. Um, And so once they've sort of wrapped their minds around that reality, they ask him, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus starts talking to them about what we see in the text. He talks about wars and rumors of wars, about famine, natural disasters, kingdoms, and nations rising up against each other. Um, And it sounds a lot like what is happening right now. There is chaos in the world. And Jesus is warning his disciples then and us now that in the context of this environment, that we are in danger of our love growing cold. And he says that this is going to occur because of of increased wickedness. Um, So as I I was studying this, I was looking um, just for other interpretations of that phrase, and some versions refer to it as lawlessness. And I actually decided to take a look at the complete Jewish Bible, which translates it as because of increased distance from the Torah. Um, And so because of increased distance from the Torah, it says the love of most will grow cold. And we will all recognize the Torah as being the Jewish book of laws, 613 commands from Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And Moses is, is receiving these commands directly from Yahweh. And there's kind of a big finish in in Deuteronomy 6. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This command, known as the greatest command, continues in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And it tells the Israelites to teach the commands to their children, to talk about them all the time when they get up in the morning, when they go to bed at night, when they are going around their day. It tells them to bind them on their hands and to wear them on their forehead. So this was a really important tenet of the Jewish faith, a reminder um, to love God with everything they have and to also uh, uh, follow the commands of God, follow the, the, the 613 commands of Torah. It was referred to as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for here. And it also has a a connotation of responding to what you've heard. And so sometimes you will see it as, see it translated as to listen and to obey because it has that connotation. And it was incorporated into their morning prayers and into their evening prayers. And Jesus, as a practicing Jewish person, would have had the practice of saying the Shema uh, when he rose in the morning and when he went to bed at night. Um, that's just something that I like to think about when I reflect on, when I reflect on Jesus. And yeah, so this was a really important part of their, of their faith to love God and to follow Torah. Um, and when Jesus pops on the scene and he's really challenging all of their 
beliefs that they've held very strongly for, for centuries, uh, someone asks him, what is the most important command? Uh, and he responds, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Strength, that's the Shema. Um, but Jesus added a second one of equal importance. And he said, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And so in one stroke, we see Jesus summarizing all 613 commands of Torah as loving God and loving your neighbor. So when Jesus is talking about the wickedness and the lawlessness that is going to cause our love to grow cold, he is talking about the failure to adhere to the two greatest commands, loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor. And if in the chaos of this age, we forget those commands, our love is going to grow cold. Um, so there is a lot that can be said about the importance of love in the life of a follower of Christ, but I thought a few scriptures would be helpful here. Uh, in the Gospel of John, he is quoting Jesus when he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In the first epistle of John, uh, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Whoever claims to love God, this is later in the epistle, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have seen. Did I say that right? <laughs> For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what is at stake here is no less than the prophetic witness of the church. We are supposed to be a people who are marked by love. So let's talk about what it means to love God with everything we have. Um, at its most basic, right, the call to love God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength means that we don't love anything more than we love God. Uh, it means we need to resist idolatry. Idolatry can be defined as trusting in created things or the gifts of the creator rather than the creator himself for our hope, happiness, significance, and security. Tim Keller says that idols are not bad things, but idol idols are good things that we make into ultimate things. The reason why it's so important to understand this is Tim again. The reason why it's so important to understand the sin of idolatry is that it can be growing in a part of your life for a long time and get very deep without it right away leading to clear, visible, and easily seen violations of God's law. The Pharisees are an example of this. They 
had deep knowledge of the law of God and developed a very effective system to keep them from violating any of the 613 commands of Torah. And in doing so, they began to derive their self-worth from their perfect theology instead of from their creator. The laws became more sacred than the giver of the law and the people whom the law was designed to protect. And as David taught us a few weeks ago, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs because they were dead inside. Their love had grown cold. Um, we are so good at making beautiful, God-created things into idols. As a single person, I am fully guilty of idolizing marriage and parenthood. Um, and I think even if you're married and you're a parent, you, you have the same, the same risk. Um, we turn our political and religious ideologies into idols, our liberalism, our conservatism, our stance on abortion or gay marriage. But if we prioritize any of these things over the law of God, which Jesus told us is to love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor, then our love is going to grow cold. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So loving God with everything means that we have to be checking our hearts for idols. We have to be looking at the ideas, the political, religious beliefs, all of the things that are important to us, and we need to be examining them. We need to be holding them up to what we know about the heart of God and what he has said is most important, to love him with everything that we have and to love our neighbor. And anything that makes us forget this command or sacrifice this command has to be torn down. Um, so let's talk about what it means uh, to love our neighbor. Um, I think sometimes it's, it's really easy to forget that, that neighbor love and enemy love are the same thing. It's very easy to love someone who maybe is not a Christian, but they're your next door neighbor and they're really nice and, and you, know, you have them over for dinner. They're your neighbor and, and that's in a very literal way and it's not that hard to love them even though they may not share, share your belief in Christ. But Jesus told us that we have to love our enemies. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke records it as, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat, who mistreat you. Um, and in this, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan saves the life of a person who belonged to a group of people that were enemies to the Samaritan, it becomes clear that your enemy is the same as your neighbor. So for the follower of Christ, neighbor love is the same thing as enemy love. Preston Sprinkle articulated it this way. He says, actually loving your enemy, only Jesus and his followers took love this far because this is how far the love of God extends to us. While we were God's enemies, Christ loved us. 
Christians no longer distinguish between neighbors and enemies. Through the death of Jesus, we are swept up into God's love for all people, even enemies like us. The one who loves his enemies can no longer have any enemies. He is left with only neighbors. So what does it look like to love your enemy? Um, Many of us are familiar with the story of Naaman. He was a commander in the Syrian army who was healed of leprosy by Elisha um, and became a servant of Yahweh. And what you might not remember is that the person who told him that he could go to the prophet Elijah and be healed was uh, an, an enslaved Israelite woman who served his wife, who served Naaman's wife. And we don't know a lot about her. We don't have her name. But from the context, we know that she was a person being oppressed by a regime that was determined to conquer and enslave her people and was led in part by Naaman. But she still wanted Naaman to know the healing power of Yahweh. She wanted him to know the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And because of her sacrificial love, Naaman came to know and worship the one true God. Um, For a more modern day example, there was a woman who lived in South Africa during apartheid. Um, A white officer came to her home. Uh, They drug her son out of the home, shot him point blank, and burned his body while the officer and some friends celebrated nearby. A little while later, her husband was killed by the same men and his body was also burned. Um, And during the the Truth and Reconciliation uh, hearing proceedings, they asked her, what does justice look like for you? And of course, she wanted to know uh, where her son and uh, where her husband, where their final remains had been laid. Um, and she also uh, wanted the officer who, who killed them to come to her home every uh, twice, I think it was twice every month, uh, so that she could share the love with him that she would have otherwise been able to share with her husband and her son. And she also said this, I would like the officer to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take him into my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. Um, Jumping forward a little bit in time to June 2015, where nine members of Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, were killed by a white man who reportedly wanted to start a race war. Uh, In the wake of the tragedy, the family members of the victims stood in a courtroom at at the shooter's arraignment, and they offered him their full and free forgiveness and encouraged him to give his life to Christ. They forgave the person who unapologetically murdered their loved ones in the middle of a Bible study. 
And I pray to God that none of us, I mean, I pray to God that none of us has to face what this woman, what the South African woman and what the families of the members of Emmanuel Church had to face, but we may encounter enemies, someone who is seeking to hurt us or our loved ones, whether it is a teacher or a police officer or even a spiritual leader. And some of us may encounter a person who does not believe that we have value because of our gender or because of the color of our skin. And still some of us may encounter someone who is working with all their might to enact policies that are offensive to us and that will oppress us. And the question I have for you is, will we as followers of Christ be able to say to that person, I love you and I forgive you? It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to remind us that God's grace extended to us for free was actually paid for by the suffering death and shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's supposed to remind us that because our God did not exact a penalty from us, that we have no right to exact it from anyone else. That's the gospel. That is the life-changing, tra- life transformative power of love, and we cannot allow it to grow cold. Jesus ends his talk with the disciples on a pretty hopeful note. He says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he also says that the gospel will be spread. His gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And it is always super encouraging to know that nothing will hinder the the good news of Jesus Christ. And by persevering in sacrificial love, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and laying down our lives for our neighbors who are also going to be our enemies, we get to be a part of that good news kingdom. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that while we were yet enemies, you sent your son to die for us. And so, God, I pray that if there are places in our lives where we are lacking forgiveness, where we are lacking the the radical tenant that Jesus espoused to love even our enemies, Lord, I pray that you would cover those in grace. I pray that you would fill us up to overflowing with love for our enemies and our neighbors. God, I also pray that if there are spaces where where we feel like we are still at war with you, God, where, where we are feeling guilty about something, we still feel like we are operating as an enemy to you, God, I pray that you would remind us that you have spoken shalom over all of those places, God, that the shed blood of Jesus Christ is good for all sins, for all time, for all people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring that space where we feel that we are still at war with you to peace. And God, would that would that peace spread? Would we would we spread it to our neighbor, God? Would we would we talk about it every single place that we go? 
And Lord, it is only by your grace that we have come to know you and to love you. And so God, I pray that you would continue to give us grace to love you more, to um, to know more of your character, to know more of your heart, to trust that all of the promises of God are, are yes in Christ Jesus. Um, yeah, God, would you just flood us with your love and with the grace to love you and to have faith in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>